I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for Basque Country Stage 2. A helter-skelter, dangerous (laughs) descent, finish 195k stage. It wasn't that hard beforehand, which is part of the problem. The hardest climb was 2.3Ks, 9%, but that was best part of 50Ks from the finish. And then it's like a false flat drag to about 5Ks from the finish, where then there's a steeper descent. So the side they go up is shallower, and then the descent they do is like 45 5Ks at 5%, with some hairpins in it. So this is not a selective stage most of the time. There's no 2K 11% climb followed by another climb. And honestly, I was, I've not seen a stage like this for a while because I know that um, Aaron Brew won that descent stage in a, with a star of Benji in the Basque yeah. Country, but I feel like that was more selective. Yeah, I think so as well. But it was also in a way where I think he attacked to get with Kraila, I think, where yeah. they both attacked. Some combo attack, and that's what got him at the front. But I don't remember the specifics of that stage. But this was a stage where I didn't really see that selection happen because that final climb was so shallow when it comes to the gradient that moves would already have to happen on the climbs before. And maybe they happened on the climbs before, maybe they didn't. You'll hear in a second. But one thing was certain the second that we saw Ineos at the front of the peloton, there was a clarity of who their leaders could potentially be because Hater was working before the climbs happened, right? He was. He was on the front in the leader's jersey pulling. So my guess was Freyler got to go for the stage and Martinez had to keep himself safe. I was doubting that... A, I really doubted someone like Vingegaard or Martinez would really go for it on the descent. I'm all, I was thinking Soler, Freyler... And then Movistar have got a dichotomy between Enric Mas, who crashed out of like three World Tour one-week races last year with descending problems, including this race. He finished, but he lost loads of GC positions after he crashed out of Tirreno. And they've also got Ambrou to go for the stage, who is a demon descender and has a sprint. (laughs) So that's a real tension between those two. And you could even say the same for Freyler and Martinez. So I was, I really didn't know how each team would play it. All I knew was there was not going to be a group of two at the finish. It was going to be a big group at the top of that climb. (laughs) And then, you know, you put riders at the top all together. They're all going to go for the win gas uh but we had pretty much the same break as yesterday benji just a little <laughs> bit bigger exactly and the same baronetcha or baronetcha dude once again in there the kom guy he once again took most of the points along the way i'm pretty sure he is um well the kom standings are not visible yet but i'm pretty sure he's high up there after the stage once again by being in the break and taking points here and there again but yeah that break let's be honest about it we weren't expecting it to 
make it to the finish line, even though it was bigger, it's those type of breakaway riders you'd expect, which is a Spanish secondary, um, secondary league guys, the pro team guys. But important to note is that the intermediate sprint, the first one, there were two. One of them was in between those like steeper hills, and that was taken by the breakaway. And then we moved on to the steeper hills, and the most notable one of that was the Saldias climb. And on these climbs, Movistar was pacing, and it wasn't a ruthless tempo, but it was a tempo that could hurt potential sprinters. Now, Ethan Hater drops during these climbs. Do you think that's because he did his work, or do you think that's because Movistar's, Movistar's work happened, or just a combination of both? I mean, maybe he gets dropped a little bit, but physically, but there's a lot of time to come back. There was a lot of, like, this was not a full gas stage. And, you know, Lander attacks off that pace, but then he's riding and, like, great attack, love it. But he's contending with false flat uphill and descent, and he weighs, like, 60 kilos, and he's on his own for a lot of it. <laughs> and they're holding the gap at 30 seconds. They let it go out to 45 seconds. And you can see people coming back into the group. I just think Ineos, rather than ride for Hater today, keep Martinez safe, let Freyla go for it. He's Basque. He's more comfortable descending. That made mm -hmm. a lot more sense. So I think it was more, the plan was never for Hater to be an actor in the last part of this stage. But the landing move was curious. And I initially thought it was for bonus seconds. Maybe he wanted a Carapaz or a Chavez to join him or a Martinez mm -hmm. even. Because honestly, I think Ineos should have moved here. When I okay. look at Jumbo Visma, they got nothing to help Fingergaard. You really, like if Martinez, like Dennis... And Omen and Co. and Kreisweik, I mean, maybe they could have, but on the last climb, they were anonymous, and Vingegaard was positioning himself. If I was Ineos, I would have tried something here, especially after Kudus had worked. Are they potentially overrating the fact that Walter was so strong at Tirreno and Strali and so forth, and has kind of been invisible these last two days in this race? Because I haven't maybe. seen Walter as much the last two days, but then again, I agree that he could have done something. There's other people that did try something, which was on that steeper hill the one before the final shallow climb that's steeper hill the Saldias climb and those attacks came from two riders that uh were once teammates if i recall correctly but the first one carapaz attacks with a shirt that looks exactly like or lewis aular's jersey aular being the venezuelan champ and carapaz being the uh, ecuadorian champ that being said pretty obvious that it would be carapaz doing that move on this climb he attacks and a movistar domestique kind of closes it but the Movistar Domestique, or I don't know if it was Moz in the wheel already, or Aramburu, they don't really follow that Movistar Domestique. And it seemed like Vingegaard closed that Movistar Domestique. And I was kind of confused. Is, is it because Vingegaard is a bit scared of Carapaz, or was that just like a, a uh, I don't know, a quick response that know. probably was like, I don't know if I should have done that anyway. <laughs> I mean, this is the most dangerous part of the stage in terms of where separation could happen, because it's the yeah. steepest. Heart, so I guess he's just staying active at the front and it's not gonna there's so much time to recover afterwards but yeah I was Carapaz you know he did try on those hills <laughs> and then Lander attacked to the breakaway and as I said no I went with him and I really think Ineos with Martinez could have put a little bit of pressure on today see just a jab like you don't go full 
and you're probably not going to get dropped on the final climb even if you do and Landa didn't and test out okay let's see if Jumbo Visma and EF can bring me back I think EF probably would have been capable of doing so but yeah Landa mm -hmm. gets the break they let him take the intermediate sprint he's with uh who wants to work with him but physically cannot Landa's giving him <laughs> gels the Uskatel right um Kaharada rather oh, but la, he la, is la, Basque la, la, I think la. um this grace mixing them up <laughs> yeah I mean you know what I think all the four Spanish pro teams should band together um, <laughs> like all the I, French teams and all the Belgian teams well with the new UCI rules most of them won't be able to go to the Vuelta in 2025 Mate. Imagine if we had that Lotto and Quickstep coming together as a Belgian team, the Lee and Avena pull together. Then yeah, when it Lotto comes to kind of good. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's an, an uncomparable with well then again, if everybody joins Movistar as a Spanish teams, you also got a better team though. Corotech uh have fifty UCI points this year. Fifty. <laughs> and they're going to the Giro. And yeah. If they have that amount of points next year, they won't be going to the Giro. It won't be allowed by the new rules, which I think is a good thing because it's like, I'm here to watch professional cycling. Anyway, and if the team is not competitive or on the path to be competitive, then anyway, I'm off track. They try to help Lander, but he gets the three bonus seconds. Jonathan Castro Viejo is like, I'll let you dangle as long as I want. The gap was at 30 seconds. EF were helping a little bit. Lander wasn't going full. The stage really slows down here because Lander's not going full at a certain point and Castro Viejo's not, also not interested in bringing him back that early. So the peloton gets really big again after that steep climb. Going into the false flat climb, Lander progressively drops riders. Only the uh, French rider from Total Energy, what's his name? Alain Jossom, who looks like Ben Tullet's brother. He <laughs> stays with him, not pulling, and then eventually gets dropped. And finally, Ineos and Plap are pacing. I think uh, maybe another team were pacing, but I guess some riders tried to attack. It was Parmesan who crashed. Yep. Correct. Who else Next is it? Balderstone from Caja. Balderstone from Caja. Uh, sounds like a British name, right? Balderstone, but he's a he Spanish guy. He looks English or Scottish. Yeah, there's probably got, some, something got going hair. on there. <laughs> nah, that's the defining character. Oh, no, no, if you look at him on PCS, nah, he looks oh. English or, or he looks British. <laughs> okay, and I think the La Cruz bridges to those two riders as well, but they all get caught by Plap on that on that shallow gradient climb. And Plap's doing that for two riders in his will, which is Freyla and Martinez. But I'm about to spoil something already. We're getting over this hill. And in the next... 12-ish kilometers to the finish line. Supposedly, Martinez lost 11 minutes. No, didn't lose 11 minutes. He's listed as 11 minutes lost. No, he was on Plap's bike. He was on Plap's he, bike? Yeah, he lost 30 seconds. Oh, okay. It's, know. I think they're going off whoever was on his bike, which is probably the car, <laughs> or Plap, or yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that makes yeah. a lot more sense. I wanted They've to get that it. straight before we got to the final. <laughs> no, but he has a mechanical. Martinez has okay. a mechanical. Yeah. And Freyler's still got to go for the stage. Plap's just done all his work. It's the worst time to have a mechanical because yeah. it's too late in the climb for Plap to have much left to help you. 
because if, if he has a mechanical, even with 5Ks left, 4Ks left in his climb, there would have been no problem. But, I mean, is Plap? I mean, Plap gives him the Aussie national champs bike, but I don't know if it fits him. How well it fits him, he's going to got to navigate this technical descent. So his GC is in real jeopardy. I thought Dennis, I thought it'd be the Australian duo on mm-hmm. this climb, but Vingegaard had to position himself. Vingegaard yep. hitting the wind. Same with Soler. I mean, we thought with Almeida and Kogon, it's like, nah, Almeida out, McNulty and Soler, those two are going to go for GC. <laughs> it's brilliant stuff. Um, I mean, whatever. But, but hey, Sandal's coming here. Eh? We all know well, what's about to happen. Well, Ving- I'm just saying, like, Vingegaard, it was... He was eating a lot of wind, and Movistar were moving up. There's just a sprint lead out into the descent, and your man Aaron Baru lights it off at the, at the top, creating a split. Yeah, Alexander Aaron Baru, we know he's a great descender. He was the one that launched um, Roglic and so forth, and Frail and so forth, and, and he's a year and Godou in that move in Basque Country 2021, one. is my guess of the year. That he's just a great descender because every, every kicking a, an extra gap on the people behind, but then on the straights, he seems to be losing time compared to the group behind. So it's more that he's, I think he's not a, the amazing technique guy. I think he's more the daredevil that doesn't break as much or doesn't, or pedals more into corners than other people do. Do you think? I think it's, I think he's a good descender. Okay. But it's a 5% descent. <laughs> and so Don't it's right. No, so it's not that steep. So yeah. he's sprinting. Like Aaron Baru, if you, I don't know if he puts his power on Strava, I'd be interested to see it. But I think he basically left it all out on the road before the finish, trying to get away. His goal was to get a gap. And it was, I think, an Astana rider in his wheel, whether it was Stella Cruz, I'm not sure. I think it was Scaroni in his wheel, not letting him go. And, if you give guys, there is still a huge peloton advantage at 5%, obviously. Now, if it was 9% super technical, I think he wins the stage. Because also, Vingegaard was literally leading the descent at certain points, not attacking, but probably thinking, I would like to not end my season right here. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of guys were thinking that. And so the pressure to move up, move up, move up. Eventually, Ambrose led the whole descent. We see a split. There's a split initially of 10, 11 guys. Lander, I think, is in. Vingegaard's in. And Arke is in. Aramburu's leading it. There is yeah. no second Movistar. So Mars is off the back. Now, another group does come. I was like, maybe Mars is in there. He wasn't. And Edith Scaling Benji does a full gas sprint from the back of this small group with, I don't know, like 600, 600? 700 left? Yeah, 600, I think. Straight to 300 meters, he sprinted for those corners. And in- Let's be honest about it. These last 300 meters, not straight. I was like, is this a final straight? No, it's not. It's like a bend to the left, bend to the right. It's not no like straight. a 90 degree corner, not really, but it's always those bends where you, you can't really risk passing because there's no time to pass before the next corner hits. And as a consequence, if you're in the right position at that point, which Adam Buru clearly is not anymore. He's like in the shadow realm of this group. That's like a, a part of the group that is incompetitive. That's Adam Buru at this point. It is telling launched into those corners with 300 meters to go and Sobrero just held his wheel like he couldn't go past the meter but and the competition come from behind nothing correct he'd spend his bickies on the descent <laughs> Godou came up the inside going for bonus seconds 
ahead of Aramburu. Vingegaard's backed off to the back of the group. I can't see where Frailer is. And there really, as Benji said, there wasn't a sprint. Schelling just carries his speed over the line and wins the stage. He's pumped ahead of Sobrero. Gadu third. He takes four bonus seconds. Aramburu, probably a disappointing fourth. McNulty fifth. Someone who's had descending problems in the past. Bagioli sixth. Uran's the decent descender, I think, seventh. Yep. Then Scaroni, Guglielmi, Guglielmi, and Guerrero, tenth. So Movistar still have, I think Guerrero's a shadow leader here. So yep. he's still up there. Aguita stayed in the group. Schelmo's stayed in the group. Carapaz, Vingard, Yonis Aguirre, Landa, uh, any other GC, Simon Yates. Yeah. They all made that group, didn't lose time. As we said, Martinez loses 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mars, 11. Mars loses 11 seconds and Chavez loses and 11 seconds. Juanpe, 11 seconds as well. El Patron, can't forget nah, him. Juanpe is just peaking for the, for the Vuelta. He's oh, all okay. the Giro. He's... This is a preparation race yep. for him. Like Quinton Hermans, 11 minutes. Didn't go for it then, I'm guessing. My, my pick for this stage. <laughs> he decided to hear you say his name and he was like, fuck, no, I'm not helping this guy get it right. <laughs> yeah, but, okay, he doesn't have to take the risk on the descent, I'll grant you. I wouldn't either, but 11 minutes. I don't know if he had a problem, but he's here to prepare for the Ardennes. You ain't getting over cold or a dude in that shape. Uh, maybe maybe he, mechanical, maybe he's sick, I don't know, but... Maybe hmm. he's just... Saving it all because he wants to get into the break or wants to try Good something point. on that uh, on that Moodle stage. That feels like a possibility. Perhaps, yeah. I'd be surprised if he was allowed in a breakaway. But yeah, listen, not the best stage I've ever seen. And <laughs> the riders saying afterwards, yeah, that was really dangerous. I agree, it was. Um, but we said it last night. So... The question is, what's the UCI, what's the CPA doing about this? Because we, I remember taking a lot of flack for that Giro. Remember that Giro stage, 2021, (laughs) was it? They cancelled 250k. It was just a long stage. There was nothing inherently dangerous about it. It wasn't zero degrees. It was raining. The riders didn't want to do it. And they sort of didn't apply it. They just revolted. I don't like the day of revolts. Um, or even talking about afterwards, like who is, but also I'm not disagreeing when Schelling says that was a dangerous descent. I can't believe Mm -hmm. that was allowed. And it's good to hear him say that it's more, we can see it when we look at the profile for the first time last night. Oh, this is not safe. Mm -hmm. Like, how is it being allowed? Do you think there's a thing where internally in the peloton, if you complain about things, that you get a bad name. Because I've heard people, the writers say that, for example, if they call out a sprint deviation, that it kind of hits their reputation in the peloton a bit, that they're looked at to be the kind of snitch guy or that kind yeah. of stuff. You think that that's, that behavior kind of exists for, for this, it shouldn't, right? Like, people, no, writers that actually care about the safety of other writers? Because senior that, riders like, call call out safety things like exactly. Decant, like Trenton, McLean. who I think is, yeah, um, maybe the sprint deviations is more colleague on colleague squabbling. Yeah, they mm-hmm. like to keep that in the in the peloton traditionally. I just I think it comes down to the 
the obvious answer, Benji, is I don't want to toot our own horn too much, but people can't read a profile. Like, <laughs> people will look at the profile, yeah. say, oh, there's 3,000 meters of climbing, and there's a 2.8K, 9% climb in, in the stage somewhere. It'll be a small group. Yeah. Whereas Not we look true. at it, and we're like, it's 50Ks from the finish. There's no incentive for any GC team to pace really hard afterwards. The climb is too shallow, the final one. The final descent is steeper. It's nailed on going to be over 70 guys at the top, 60 guys at the top. And I, I think, whereas they look at it, they're like, oh, it could be Break could win and a group of five could tackle something, which I just think that's an, a difference of opinion on reading the parkour. I think so as well. And maybe that is something that the safety parkour managers should kind of specialize on a bit to know that a parkour looks dangerous just from the profile already, because we could call it if we saw this profile. But then the question that you brought up earlier is, what about the people that complain afterwards? I don't mind it too much, because I still feel like it's worthy of calling it out, even if they didn't necessarily bring it up beforehand. Because I would argue that a lot of riders are probably living day-to-day -day in some races. If you're like a domestique and so forth, you're probably living race oh, yeah, to race at least. they're not reviewing the GPX files of this stage yeah. two weeks ago. It's more on the team then, or on the yeses, to kind of be responsible on the fact of yeah, if they, they if they look at, <laughs> I know, but if they look at the profiles earlier, then a light pops up. Because like... You can't go to the organizer on the morning of the stage. It's unreasonable. Exactly. Exactly. But on the other hand, the organizer should also... Well, it's technically not on the... Or is it on the... I need to know the process. We, we might try. Yeah. I don't know if Rogers listens to the podcast. He's been active on Twitter about hey. safety issues recently. Um, I'd like to him. get him on. Okay. Well, and open invitation to yet, Michael so. Rogers. <laughs> Hopefully he responds soon. <laughs> All right. Please, Michael, open invitation on. to Michael Rogers. I'm not, <laughs> I genuinely would like to know, cause, and I'm yeah. sure I could read it somewhere, but I'm lazy. What's the process? The organizers of the Basque Country stage race, they would they agree a route with the local ayuntamientos or councils. Jesus. They get the money from them or whatever, or they have the route they want to do. They what then submit that to the UCI. The UCI mm -hmm. approves it, or is there some special person that does it? I don't. I think there is a process written somewhere, but I'd like to know because, and then does that go to the the teams or the AIGCP, like the collection of professional cycling teams. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm glad I haven't seen any major, I didn't see any major crashes on the climb. I think there probably were crashes, so. But about potential crashes, I don't know where this rider is. I don't see him in the results. Did you see Mark Soler finish? Because he's um... MIA at the moment. I hope he finished. I hope he didn't finish too far because I would love to have Marek Soler fight for GC at the moment, but I, I didn't recall seeing him in the first group. I think McNulty was the first UAE guy and I can't see him on the results page either, so I'm kind of like, where are you, Soler? I want to see you, Soler. If I had to guess, he was on Formula's bike. But possibility? That's a possibility. But I also wouldn't expect Formula to miss Group 1 in this either, so good point. Don't know what happened to Soler. 
UAE tweets fifth place for Brandon McNulty on the stage two of Atulia, and that's the only thing they tweeted. So we haven't seen any update on Soler's finish, and I'm extremely curious to see where the dude finished. But about people finishing, about Spanish riders as well, does Aramburu's attack in the descent make sure that Maz loses time today? Uh, it doesn't help. That's for sure. And doesn't help him either. Yeah, well, it depends. If he gets away, it does help him. But I think, I think Enric probably. I don't know. They didn't really have anyone else helping. I definitely think it, they didn't do a great job positioning him at the start of the climb. So last side of the descent, rather, and that was key. Maybe if he's in that group, he doesn't, you know, doesn't slide back as much. But listen. I would rather Enric Mas lose 11 seconds, lives to fight another day. Last year in uh, Pays Vasco? No. Yeah. Uh. Maybe it was. He crashed trying to follow Pale Bill Bow yeah. in a descent last year, and he didn't really need to, and it was a huge risk, and he couldn't do it. And so I'm glad, you know, if he backed off a bit, lived to fight another day, no problem. So, I wanted to tell you that Soler has crashed, and oh, did we crash. thank Luke, our producer, for that, who brought up a tweet by Lilian Kalmajan, who said that he crashed at the beginning of the stage, which confirms your theory that he crashed early on the stage as well, and um, that Soler's crash ruined his chances today. So, that suggests that Soler hit the ground on the descent, which is unfortunate, and a consequence of the descent, unfortunately. All right. So, maybe people do call out others in the peloton. Um, not sure what Karmashan's <laughs> probability of victory was after being ahead, but anyway, Soler ruined his chances today. Or maybe Karmashan ruined his. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't think he meant Luke, it like that. <laughs> also, we gotta call some drama. Picked Pagacha to win solo for Arturo Flanders preview, but we've got to let him put it in uh, beforehand, so he gets no credit for that pick. Um, when Pagacha did win solo. Anyway, tomorrow's stage, Benji, hopefully a little bit more selective. I think it will be four difficult climbs after sort of a lumpy stage. They have, yeah. it's like a lot of 1.3Ks to 2Ks at 7%. And then the last four climbs, all back to back, 1,500 meters, 10%, 1K, 10%, 700 meters, 8.8%. Yeah. And then the finish is 1100 meters at 9.4 percent uphill finish i think this will be very selective and danny martinez will be out for blood after losing 30 seconds today Ooh. he's my pick to win the stage really now who what is the gc situation looking like going into the stage knowing that Ethan hate to drop edith hellings now in the lead what are we looking like breakaway wise I kind of feel like Bora will want to try and keep Edis Kelling in the lead on yeah, this stage. Yeah, I think so. So I think the and break will And Higita could win. So if you're Bora, you've got two reasons to pace. Exactly. So I believe the Peloton will win. Yeah. And when I look through the names for it, I would say that Moss's hilly finishes have been pretty good recently. But I would also say Higita, like you mentioned, is a rider that could really do well on a finish like this. When it comes to Jonas Vingegaard, I'm not sure about it. 
I kind of feel like there's people in here that might be better, but I feel like his positioning has been okay. The I last think you'll finish stages. same time. Same time, yeah, definitely. But like in terms of winning, I feel like his positioning has been good, but I'm not sure about his explosivity versus the other riders in here. And Koshta can compete, but I don't I see don't him on that steep. I shape is the same. I also don't see him on that steep uphill finish. I kind of want to see an, uh, an, an unleashed Romain Grégoire, but I don't expect it to happen. I think Godou is obviously the man on every single yeah. one of these stages, which is unfortunate, but It'll be a top understandable. Godou can win. Yes. My Ishi. pick for tomorrow's stage is Alex Aramburu. Always. Come on. You reckon? <laughs> Fuck no, but it's not gonna. I reckon it's gonna be Mas. a group of le five or less guys with time yeah. gaps. I think it's yeah. a really hard little finish, and I'm going with Danny Martinez. I think it's gonna be a group of Mas Martinez, Vingegaard. I think it's gonna be really hard. This is okay. really steep. I think this is gonna be a harder stage than it looks, and yeah, I'd love for Mas to win. He won Giro Emilia, which is a Muro circuit, and he kicked off on the steep part. Who knows? He'll also be out for blood t tomorrow after losing 11 seconds. But yeah, I, I got Danny just winning ahead of Aguita and then Mas and Vingegaard, and maybe Lander makes it. Where did Costa finish today? I think he finished way down. On I don't think Costa ha had minutes. it anyway. I must have crashed. I think so. Maybe involved in the Solaire crash. Yeah, poor old Mark Soler. He'll, maybe he'll get blamed in the tweet as well. Anyway, that was Pays Vasco at stage two. We're back for stage three tomorrow, which I think will have some big dog GC action. Maybe it'll be Carapaz. He's looking sprightly. The kit looks lovely. Who knows? The EF have been very active this season. But I hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'll see you on tomorrow. Ciao.